Hi, everybody. We're about to do the scripture reading before the sermon today. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Okay, great. So, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine our nakedness, our danger, or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor the rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right. Amen. Amen. So, you know, what's, what's interesting in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, he, he has this statement. He says, we, uh, are, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're powerful through God for the tearing down of strongholds. So he's talking about this idea of, of spiritual warfare. And then the very next verse says, we cast down every thought that does not submit itself to the knowledge of Christ. And so the act of preaching, the act of declaring truth is spiritual warfare. We are casting down thoughts and ideas and thought processes that don't match the word of God. And beloved, this word says that those weapons are powerful. So in this act, we're not just hearing something. We're not just tickling our ears, but, but we are committing spiritual warfare saying, Lord, we want our minds to line up with you. We want to do what you want. We want to think what you want us to think. And so I'm excited to, to be in this. I mean, come on. Isn't that a good verse to preach? I mean, it got me all excited. I, I should just go sit down right now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to look into this now. Um, have you ever had phone reception problems? Has, has there ever been a case for you? Have you ever like been in like a serious conversation? You know, the stakes are high. And then the phone drop off and you feeling offended. <laughs> You're like, they didn't even care. You know, like, and you, if you don't know about the, the phone reception issue, if you don't know that was the problem, you're thinking, man, I was, I was laying my heart out and they just don't care. And I, when the next time I talk to them, I'm going to tell them that was rude. And then you come to find out, no, nah, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they was mean or that they wanted to say something uh, rude to you, but that there was a reception issue because of your environment. Now, here's the deal. The scriptures say that nothing can separate us from the love of God and the ultimate good that he has planned for us. So the question is, why do we sometimes forget that? Do you always feel like that? No, no. And see, when in those moments when we kind of doubt God's love, maybe we're having some reception issues on what he's saying to us, we don't begin to doubt the environment. Well, who do we doubt? Him. 
Oh, he don't really, he don't really like me. He, he don't really care. But beloved, I, I want us to re- remember that even when the environment that we are in is fuzzy, that the truth of God's love remains. Okay? Okay, so, so let, let's get into it. Verse 31, we are reminded that God is for us. It says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, the question is, what are these things that he's talking about? What are the these things? Beloved, I think he's talking about the whole book of Romans up to this point. And we can see this grand story of God who created us out of this abundance of love for us, giving us every single thing that we would need. Yet, very soon after, we rejected that authority. The one who was good, we said, we don't think that you have the capability to provide what's good for us, so we are going to go and get it ourselves. We rejected his authority. But beloved, he didn't just leave us in that rejection and leave us in that rebellion. He actually had a plan to save his people. And that previous verse in in Romans 8, he says, those he predestined, he called. This idea of calling, I, I, I love it because it's like Jesus jacks us up out of our rebellion. Listen, when I was Without Christ, I wasn't seeking Christ, but there was a day when he said, Will, come here. And he just jacked me up out of my rebellion. And if you are a Christian, that is the same case for you that he looked at you and said, You listen to me now. And not only did he call us, but he justified us. Jesus forgave us and gave us a clean slate. In Romans Romans 6 and and 7 and 8, it talks about this this indwelling spirit, the, the spirit of the living God, which lives in us to remind us of what God has done and to change us so that we look more like Christ. And then it also talks about this, this glorification, this future hope that Christ will fully make us like him, fully holy and blameless and a peaceful state with him. And so the question, when you look at Romans 1 through 8, and you see the marvelous, magnificent plan of God, you are supposed to go, well, who can stand against that? What what can thwart that plan? Who can outsmart the wise one? You know, if you look at the, the good news and the bad news as a scale, if you will, the good news is so stacked. There is so much weight in that column because of who God is and what he has done that we're supposed to go, whatever bad news comes in this column, it could never outweigh the plan and the purpose and the accomplishments of our God. Who could come against him? And if that wasn't enough, in verse 32, Paul goes on to remind us that that God's kindness was personified. Verse 32, he says, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Beloved, the, the, per, the, the cross of Christ is the personal demonstration of the love of God. You know, a lot of times when you hear somebody declare that they love you or that you're friends or they have your best interests in mind, in the back of your head, you're like, I need something more to words, though. 
I, I don't, I, I'm glad you said that. I don't want you to say you hate me. But, but I, I'd like it to be more than words. I, I'd like to, to see it demonstrated. We have love that is more than just words on the cross of Christ. There's this song called See His Love, and there's some lyrics. It says, it says see his love nailed unto a cross, perfect and blameless life given as sacrifice. See him there all in the name of love, broken yet glorious, all for the sake of us. Beloved, when you see and with the, the, the eyes of your heart, Christ bloodied and beaten and nailed to that cross, you need to see in large words, all caps, I love you. That is the, the personal forever declaration. And not only is it the personification of that love, the sacrifice of the son reveal, reveals the deep love of the father. I want you to understand something. The father loves the son, not just a little bit. At his baptism, when Jesus was baptized, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and then it says that the voice of the Father came, and he said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Isaiah, it describes that the Father looks at Jesus and says, this is the one in whom my whole soul delights. Beloved, what this means is that he gave us what he treasured most. It's, it's not out of surplus that he saved us. It's not like he saw us and, you know, he had stacks in the bank and he gave us a couple of dollars. No, no, no. He emptied out the bank for us. What he treasured most was given for us. See, that should show us the, the posture of his heart, not leftover love. Not kind of love, not if it's convenient love, but love that cost him everything. And if this is true, if this is true, he will give us everything he has promised. And then when the verse, two, when verse 32 is talking about how will he not also with him grant us everything, what is the everything? The everything is everything that he has promised. He's not talking about a Bentley, okay? Everything I have promised, I will give you. See, see, listen, he, he promises this, this redemption of the body. That there will be no more mental and physical pain. There, there's no more struggle with indwelling evil and that there's this joy with him. And then he says that there's going to be a new creation where righteousness and justice dwell. There's no more personal conflict, no more systematic and institutional sin, no more unjust laws, a perfect and, and, and peaceful, glorious place. And listen, when we have doubts about, well, is this, is this going to happen? Will he really do that? We go, well, he who did not spare his own son, will he not freely give us everything? Paul goes on to say that the work of Christ has saved us and is saving us. Look at verse 34. It says, who is the one who condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what voices in your head do you hear that make you doubt the love of God? Because this is, this is fundamentally the question, who is the one that condemned? That condemnation makes you shrink back, makes you not be bold coming to him. 
we have this own, our own indwelling guilt and shame. Maybe there's voices in your head that say, well, man, look, look at what you have done. You think he likes you? He's sickened by that. Our, our, our God must be disgusted with me. Or, or maybe it's he might not give me any more chances. Whatever that voice is, that is the voice of condemnation. But beloved, Jesus has justified you. That voice cannot compare to the work of Jesus. Not only do we have these interpersonal battles, these mental battles with guilt and shame, the, the scripture calls Satan the accuser. One of the main, listen, one of the main strategies of Satan is to accuse you to the point where you think you have to shrink back from God. That, that's, that's the sin cycle, y'all. Tempts you, you sin, then you get a, and you can't go, you feel like you can't go to where you can get help because you're too ashamed. That is his strategy. And beloved, I, I talked to so many people about, about uh, seeking God, coming to church, being in fellowship. And, and I hear, and they're trying to be respectful. They're like, I have to clean myself up. I have to clean myself up before I can come to God, before I can come to church, but whatever the thing is. But here's the deal. You may think it's respectful to try to clean yourself up before you seek God, but that is actually satanic. You are giving in to the tool of the enemy. When you think that you can somehow clean yourself up enough so that God will be like, you can come in now. No, no. Who is the one who condemns? Nobody. (laughs) If Jesus has justified you, no condemnation can overtake you. He goes on to say, "Why, why should we ignore this condemnation? He looks right at the work of Christ. He says, Christ died for us. Beloved, that's that's the. Glorious doctrine of substitution, like Colossians 2.14, it says, He, Jesus, erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away, nailing to the cross. Basically saying if there is a list of your sins, just a long old list, and you know, you've seen that and it just rolls on out the door. A long old list of your sins. And when, when the nail was put in Jesus' hands and feet, there your sins were put. They were applied to him so that you would not have to carry them around. Not only that, it says that Christ rose for us. Romans 4, 25 says, he, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When we see the resurrection of Jesus, you need to see that as the vindication of Jesus. It it was was very uh, possible that the people around Jesus saw him on that cross and said, he's guilty. He's supposed to be up there. He didn't obey, he obey authorities. But when he was risen from the dead, God was saying, whatever you might have thought, you need to understand he's innocent. And beloved, if you are in Christ, that applies to you. Not only that, the scripture says that Christ presently intercedes for us. Pre- like, like, I, we don't talk about this, Dr. Ron, but we just we sit here for a minute. He presently intercedes for us. In other words, Christ is like the anchor for our faith in heaven. In Hebrews 6, 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forward. Let me break it down. The troubles and the pains of this life are like waves. Tossing us to and fro. But if you've seen a ship, even if the waves are really bad, if there's an anchor down, the ship's not going anywhere. 
it might toss and tie, but it ain't, it's, not, it's, not, it's not going on down the ocean. The scripture says that we are connected by the Spirit. And beloved, Christ is in heaven, in the throne room of God. And the waves of this life, the waves of our own guilt and shame might tempt to toss us away from him. But Christ is our anchor. He is our anchor in heaven. And where he at? Seated, seated right next to God. Beloved, listen, your, the, the, your inner life might be in turmoil. Your family might be messed up. Your job might be uh, a pain in the neck. But beloved, if you are connected to Christ, you are anchored to God. No matter what winds and waves toss and turn you, beloved, Christ ain't moving from his seat. And he's not letting you go. Not only that, he continues, he says he intercedes, he continues to pray for us in heaven. You ever played a game of telephone? You know, like you, you tell somebody something and they tell somebody something. Do they, they barely like ever get it right, right? You know, like, like you, you thought I said, who, what? You know what I'm saying? They barely never get it right. But listen, I feel like sometimes we might think that prayer is like a game of telephone. Like, I hope it gets up there. It feels a far, it feels a long way away. I hope it reaches its destination. But beloved, we have someone who prays for us. And where is he at? At the right hand. At the right hand. Beloved, ain't no game of telephone. He turned right there and said, Lord, help her. Lord, help him. Beloved, his prayers get through because he is right there. The father, and this is, there's a way that you can paint this as if like, like the father just wants to smite us and the son's like, please don't. That, that ain't, that's not what's going down. The father enjoys the intercession of the son. Because they agree. The son goes, help my people. And the father goes, I would love them. Beloved, there is joy in that intercession. And beloved, there's no better intercessor for you than Jesus. I know when you feel like you want somebody to pray, you'd be like, who can pray real good? You were looking around for, you know, that old lady that she made. She's been praying for years. Now, she might can pray. I ain't going to doubt that. But she can't pray better than Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And it says that Jesus is our intercessor in the heavens. Beloved, this is the anchor for our soul, the work that Christ has done and the work that he present day right now is doing, keeping us connected to the Father. And then Paul goes to address his head on. He says, present suffering does not take away the, the love of Christ. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There are many things that can make you doubt the love of God. And in fact, I'd say the majority, no, nah, not the majority, almost all of the pastoral counseling situations is that there is some present distress that is going on in a person's life. And they're going, now, does, is he right? Like, do he love me? Do you see my life? It looks like a mess. Beloved, this, this is what takes our eyes off of him. And we have, there's so many things, like this, this, this mental distress, anxiety, personal sickness, chronic pain, loved ones experiencing. He even mentions persecution. Now, I, I had to bring, like, I, when I say mental distress and stuff, y'all like, I know that. We don't know too much about persecution. Okay, but I brought an example. Look, in North Africa, in the year 200, in the year 200 there was a, a young mother named Perpetua. She was a young nursing mother, and she was sentenced to death. 
because she was a Christian. Now, her father was not a Christian, and, and he came to the jail cell and pleaded with her, please, for your baby, do not say you're a Christian. She must have been a little smart because she said, she said Father, you see, a, you see that vase? He said, yeah, I see the vase. He said, it don't make sense to call it what it's not. It's a vase, and I'm a Christian. So, so beloved, you can see in her confidence, she looked persecution in the faith in the face and said, I still believe that Christ loves me. He says, but in all of these, all these things do not separate us from the love of Christ. And he goes on to quote that verse. That verse kind of look, looks weird in verse 36. As it is written, because of you, we're being put to death. All the like, what is he talking about? That's quotation from a psalm. And what he's getting at is that suffering is common for God's people. There's not a man or a woman in the Bible that didn't suffer. And that is not proof that they don't belong to God. It's not proof that God doesn't love them. It doesn't matter who it is. We have suffering in this life. But again, that is not evidence that God does not love you. And he goes on to say, we are, we are more than conquerors. Which begs the question, how is it that we conquer? What, what, is, what is the conquering? When the context of this verse the conquering is still believing in Christ's love, even when circumstances want to put eyes in a different place. That's the conquering. Endurance. Endurance is the conquering. And he even heightens it. He says, no supernatural evil can separate you from Christ. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty uh, all-inclusive list, yes? I mean, he included everything. So no temptation can take you away from Christ. Some of y'all feel some temptation, and y'all feel so guilty about the temptation that you're like, if, he, if they only knew what I was tempted by, beloved, that cannot take you from the love of Christ. No demonic activity can take you from the love of Christ. No evil, unjust power can take you from the love of Christ. Death does not even take you from the love of Christ. Christ's love is stronger than all of those things. And our faith is secure. Now, here's the question, And I'm, I'm, I've been preaching a little bit. I'm, I'm going to bring it down a little bit because I, I really want to explain something. How does that truth remain with us in the ups and downs of life? Okay? You might, man, you, we here on Sunday, we all together, we like, yay, he loves us. But on Monday, you know, like, like how does it stay? How does it stick? Because if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I have a deep sadness over my heart. Because I have seen such inconsistency in spiritual life in our church and outside. I see people falling by the wayside. Once interested, now disinterested. Once had a faith intact, now deconstructed. What, what is going on? What, why, why is, why, what is happening? And, 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 and how, how do I put myself in the position to always be secure in God's love? Now, here's the deal. When we hear these scriptures, these thoughts of Apostle Paul, we, we abstract them from his life, okay? 
So we look at the thoughts and we're like, well, if I got the thoughts, if I got the words of what he said, then I'm going to be all right. But beloved, everybody who says something lives a particular kind of life and their life either gives credence to what they said or it does not. And so here's the deal. We don't need only right belief, beloved. We need right practice. So what is the type of practice that keeps me secure in God's love? Okay, what, what is that? When I see the life of Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, I don't see them living lackadaisical lives. I don't see them floating around. I don't see them half caring about the Lord. Okay. What I see and the, the, the whole reason that our mission is the way it is, is because I, I try to look at their life and say, what, what is it that they do? Well, I see them preaching the gospel, producing disciples and pursuing justice. None of those things are passive things. Yes. Are they passive? No, no, nope. they're not passive. They're not passive. Beloved, we've just been through a pandemic. Everybody backed way up, and I understand it. But it's time to start backing up. Okay? We've got to get back in the rhythms of what makes disciples, because I'm tired of people falling by the wayside. I'm tired of people who was, who was with me not, not here no more. Okay? So, so what does that look like? We're going to focus really on that, that produced disciples. And the way we describe that, we, we say like a, a disciple is someone who engages in worship, someone who lives in Christian community, and someone who is engaged in mission. Okay, so, so with worship, beloved, yes, we need to be here on Sundays. But beloved, you need to be in God's Word. You have to carve out time. It'll, look, I can't do it for you. And listen, let me, let me be very clear. I'm not trying to create a work from you. I'm saying the gift of God is coming to you, and this is how you open your hand. You want to be confident in God's love. Then every day you need to carve out a time where you sit with him, not rushing, not just checking off a box, but sitting with his word saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? And you will find him speak words of comfort to your soul, confirming his love for you over and over again. We also need to be in transparent community with one another. Again, I'm gonna speak, I'm, I just want to speak very honestly. I feel like, I'll just try to say, I'm saying, I feel like people are relying on me to help them make friends. And I'm telling you, y'all all here in the same church, okay? <laughs> you better get somebody's number, okay? <laughs> you, know, like, you better go talk to somebody. And you're like, what do we do? Listen, we got the eat, read, pray. If you don't know, there's a packet in the back. How do you make disciples? Look, you study scripture together and you be accountable to one another and you be authentic and honest with one another. Beloved, I can't make you do that, but you can. And again, it's not a work, but it's saying, God, there's, there's grace, there's love for me to receive. This is how I open my hand. And the last one is this idea of being on mission. Beloved, that, I feel like that has really taken a, a back seat because of COVID, and I, I get it. But beloved, we follow Jesus through service and witness. And we have a really funny way of thinking about this because we think and assume that we will be drained when we serve. We'll be drained when we witness to him. But one of my favorite stories is in John 4. John 4, Jesus is talking to the woman of the way. Read the conversation. It wasn't like the most peaceful conversation. Okay, he was like, he was like, Man, oh, I don't got one. You got five of them. And like it wasn't like they were just having a talk at a party. It was it was weird. Okay, it was awkward. I can imagine he could be very drained after that conversation. 
But his disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, are you hungry? He says, I got foods you don't even know about. And they said, what, what, he, what store he go to? And he says, listen, listen, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. He is saying that I get energy by accomplishing the mission of my father. So that even when you are serving others, that is an avenue of God's grace to you. So, beloved, this isn't about working up enough so that we will be more pleasing. Beloved, we are pleasing to him because of Christ. But do we want to have open hands and receive his love and receive his grace? This is the manner in which we do it. I got one more thing to say. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of I've kind of not said this a lot, but I, I want to want to back up and kind of frame how it is that that we try to make disciples. We try to make disciples in community on mission. So let me, let me explain this. A lot of times we feel like we have to pick. So we, gotta, we either got to get in our small circle and pray for each other, or we either got to go do some stuff and serve people. But beloved, the example of the scriptures is that these happen hand in hand. Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus calls the disciples, he says two things. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the disciples had this three-year discipleship course with Jesus. Beloved, were they in a classroom? Were they in one place? Were they sitting in the holy huddle? No, they was going and doing stuff, right? And then this is what happened. The disciples would stick their foot in their mouth, and Jesus would be like, no, Peter, not that. Why? Because the mission revealed the junk that was really in the heart. Okay? Okay, so listen, we can, I want you to hear this clearly. Hear it clearly. If you don't engage in service and witness, you will think you are more spiritually mature than you are. You, you will. Because, because listen, because you'll think, man, I, I have these beautiful prayer times and it's amazing and it's awesome and I experience the presence of God. But listen, you go on the street and have somebody like cuss you out. Let's see what happened then. What's really in the heart? That's, what, that's what's when conflict pushes what's in the heart out. But beloved, in the context of community, that's when we can address the stuff. I want, I want to paint this picture clearly. And the only way that I know how to paint it is just I, I try to live what I preach. And so, so the, the, the two guys I'm around the most are John and Caleb. They work here. Yeah, we like live, we live near each other and all this kind of stuff. And I ain't going to lie. Listen, working here sometimes is hard. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? Work, John said amen. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, listen, and the gospel, we also do a lot of other stuff. We're telling kids to put pants on because they be walking around naked. It's, it's weird, okay? Y'all might have seen that dude. <laughs> Listen, I have to do some hard ministry stuff here. And there are times when we sit in my office and I'm like, y'all, this sucks. I'm tired. I don't know if I have any more. And when one of them reminds me of the faithfulness of God, that hits me so much more deeper than if I was in a classroom. When I'm at my lowest, when mission has revealed the depths of my heart. And let me tell you this, mission, like seeking the loss is not always exciting. 
it's mundane sometimes. You're like, does is there any fruit? Does it work? But when my heart is revealed in those in those matters, and when I'm with my brothers and I'm honest with them, and I say this is horrible, and they go and remind me there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. They go and remind me, no, you don't bear fruit. Christ bears fruit, beloved. That is the context of discipleship, and that is the type of discipleship that I want to see here. And beloved, what it what it does it is it doesn't make me feel strong, but it makes me remember that Christ is for me and that he loves me and nothing can separate me from him. This is the vision that I want to see implemented. So that means, beloved, that when we have stuff, I want you to show up. Okay? So on Wednesday, let let me just be honest. On Wednesdays, there's like 25 kids out there wilding, but they need Jesus. Okay? And it's awkward. They They ain't always being nice to me. But you need, I need you to come. I need you to come. Because when your heart is revealed, you're like, what is this, this little dude? What did you just say to me? Like, listen, and when you are honest about that, then, then we can apply the gospel. Then we can see the goodness of God and his faithfulness in the middle of the complexities of the mission. All right, I'm off my soapbox now. So here it is. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So let us live lives that would consistently remind us of that. Lord Jesus, I bless you. I thank you that, that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, I, I'm asking you that you would grant our church right belief and right practice. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, Lord God, that we would be a church that would reflect the doctrine, what is written in the New Testament, and the lifestyles of those who wrote it. Lord, because we, we, we want to honor you. We want to praise you. And, and we, we don't want to be drawn away from your love. We don't want to be deceived by things that would, that would have us choose other routes. Lord, we want to be held secure by the anchor of Christ who is seated at the right hand. So, Lord, by your grace, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.